Hello, beautifuls. Welcome to Her Sexual Space, a podcast where we create a sex-positive space to engage in empowering discussions for building relational and sexual awareness. Today's guest is Dr. Aisha Evans. Dr. Evans has spent her career providing clinical services to adolescents and young adults in university settings. She's currently employed at UT Dallas Student Counseling Center as a licensed staff psychologist and liaisonship coordinator. She has clinical interest in addressing relationship concerns and intimate partner violence, IPV. Dr. Evans earned her psychology doctorate in clinical psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She has a passion for outreach and community engagement, and she's dedicated to helping to decrease mental health stigma in racial minority communities and providing inclusive services. Welcome to the podcast, Aisha. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with you all today. It is such a pleasure to have you. I know you've been on my radar for a minute now, so I'm glad that we're finally able to chat. So just so our listeners know how we connected, I like to start my episode like that. Aisha and I, uh, we both went to the same church and we met doing prison ministry day with dad Um that time we went out to the prisons and I don't know if you remember that first day. Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how you felt because I know it, it was nice that I was able to do it with um, someone that I got along with. I remember the two of us being in the back seat and just going off to prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing experience. It was, it was, and I can't wait to get back to it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so Aisha, how about, you know, just telling us how you identify yourself in the world and um, a little bit about your background? Sure. Well, you know, I identify as a black or African-American woman, um, heterosexual, cisgender, uh, first generation uh, student when I was in school um, for you know, first generation college student and yeah. as well as first generation uh, doctoral student. And also a proud Midwesterner because I am originally from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. So I also identify that that way as well, too. Thank um, you. And a little bit about my background. Uh, well, as you heard, I earned my doctorate in clinical psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. And for undergrad, I went to Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, which is uh, where I earned an undergraduate degree, a, a BA in psychology. And I've been in the DFW area about two and a half years, which is where I started working at UTD. And I've pretty much, um, you know, been able to prior to COVID, I definitely got to uh, enjoy my time here. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I wonder, who was instrumental in your career decisions? How did you know that you wanted to become a psychologist? Well, I did initially. When I first started out, I was in middle school, and I was like, well, I want to be a psychologist, because I thought that it was about giving advice, and uh, my friends always came to me, so I said, okay, well, this is what I want to do. But, you know, through time, I learned a bit more about 
what it truly is. And by the time I got to my undergraduate degree, uh, there, you know, there was one person that was really pivotal for me. His name was, and uh, you know, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, but his name was Dr. Robin Herman. Mm-hmm. And he was just such a dynamic psychologist. He actually, interestingly enough, he was in the um, the field in relating to things like uh, the the legal system, like um, tied to like uh, you know prisons and jails and those types of things. He actually got me a mini practicum at a juvenile justice center, and that was really a pivotal experience for me in my life. And, he really? was great. Yeah, he served as a great, a great, great mentor to me. So I would say he he definitely is who sticks out in my mind. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I remembered you had that practicum because I too did um I did my practicum at the Denton County Jail out here in in Texas and I think that's where my world was shaken up a little. I, you know, I felt like I, although I didn't live in a bubble, but I felt like I I was very, very much in a bubble. Like there were things that I wasn't exposed to growing up. And I think that was a good place to start my counseling journey. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I, I somewhat grew up in a bubble as well, too. You know, typical suburban um, upbringing. So <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, God rest his soul and I hope you're following, you know, somewhat in his, his footsteps and the bravery and all the things that he, you know, he did so courageously. Yeah, I can only hope so. Yeah. So what was your path like to where you are right now? Um, you know, I know, you know, it could not have been without trials. It could not have been without moments of what the, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? <laughs> You know, so tell, you know, just tell me a little bit about, you know, what what your path has been like. Yeah, you know, my path has been really interesting. Um, through undergrad, it was pretty much smooth sailing. Not a lot to share about that experience. I mean, okay. typical college experience for, for a Black woman attending a PWI. It was a pretty typical experience. But the trouble came really when I went to graduate school. I, I won't say the name of the graduate school, but I will say that I initially started my doctoral program and I faced a lot of systemic and institutional racism. And it was a really, really painful experience. And it got to the point where I just said, you know what? This isn't a good fit for me. Let yeah. me just take some time away. And so I did. I went home. I took some time away. I took care of myself. I got a, uh, a job in the field, doing some assessment at a private practice. And I and she was another mentor for me. She was actually a black woman psychologist, had her own practice. And she was she was great. And so I did that. And I did reapply for for doctoral programs in clinical psychology. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to earn my PsyD. So I did. I got accepted into the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, and the you know, and I and I went there, and it was a totally different experience. I felt supported um, by the, the the faculty there. I had some really great practicums. And I mean, it was with with supervisors who really supported me. I mean, it was a, a complete 180. 
And so I did that and I thankfully I graduated and everything. And then I went on, I did my intern, well, prior to graduating, let me back up. I did my internship at the Bowling Green State University uh, Counseling Center. I graduated, I did a postdoctoral position at Florida State University. And then after that, I moved here to, to work at UT Dallas. And like I said, I've been here about two and a half years. And during my time here, I've really grown as a, a professional. I've had a lot of experience in community engagement and outreach, which is something that I'm really, really passionate about. Yes. I had the <laughs> chance to do some work with some great work with the Multicultural Center, have a build a liaison relationship with them. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely been a wonderful experience um, being a part of the community on campus. I love that. So did you always know that you wanted to work in the school environment? No, actually, um, after I had done the, let me back up to, you know, undergrad when I did the mini practicum that I had mentioned. And it also at my initial uh, graduate program, I actually did domestic or domestic violence um, classes with, um, with actually we went to the local jail and I was like oh you know I, I really really want to do be in forensic psychology so I thought that was what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and then maybe a, a year later I had my my next practicum was at a university counseling center and I'm like wow you know I, I really want to do that I really want to work with college students so I, you know, I, I completely transitioned what I wanted to do, but I'm, I'm glad that I did because yeah. I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. I love that. I love that. And I love that age, most importantly, because that's when, um, you know, I don't know what um, theories you subscribe to, but I subscribe to the Erickson um, stages of psychosocial development and, um, I love working with teens who, you know, trying to find their identity and, um, you know, those stages, identity versus confusion. And also we see a lot of intimacy versus isolation during those years. And I think um, it's a beautiful thing to sit with adolescents and help them process um, some of those things, because I mean, we too had to, um, we too had to process that. And I wonder, what was what was college like for you? So, did you have uh, relationships? Did you have, you know, I don't know if you did any, any counseling, but did you have maybe disruptions while you were going through that phase? Yes, I, you know, I did have a, a couple things. I had some the relationships I had during that time were pretty short lived or were pretty brief, the dating relationships, but I always kept a nice group of friends. Yeah. And, and so I was definitely socially engaged. I went to a lot of that, especially with the other black students, went to a lot of activities on campus and Mm -hmm. we really had a community, the black students there. Yeah. And, I can remember just, you know, hanging out like the places where like the restaurants where we could have food, you know, have our meals. I remember just hanging out there with the other, just really connecting with the other uh, black students on campus. And that was just such an amazing experience. And sometimes I would go, there was a couple HBCUs that were about 35 minutes away. So, yeah. uh, well, about, about 20 minutes away. So I would go up there and I had a, a friend from high school there. And, you know, I would go with her and go to the homecomings and, um, 
just hang out on campus, you know, just so I can have a, a bit of that, a bit of that experience. But uh, in terms of disruptions, uh, I did have an experience where I had went out for president for something, and no, I'm sorry, vice president for a, a position, and the the person that was going to be president, they that left me to succeed them because they ended up leaving the campus. But there were some, the individuals who lost the election, they they were upset. Um, and so the advisors more so sided with them and I had to share my presidency and I didn't really, I didn't really appreciate that. Um, for, it was for a student organization. Yeah. And <laughs> also I had, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that I can certainly think of. I mean, I think I did some great work as a co-president, but I, you know, I did have some uh, some feelings about um, having to share my presidency with someone who lost the election a few months prior. <laughs> right. Thing, but, you know. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, just thinking back on my college years, I did have some disruptions earlier on. Um, I, I think was it my, yeah, my freshman year, I was actually pregnant. Um, so I went through, you know, my first years pregnant and, um, you know, once I had my baby, I was able to jump back on cause I was very involved in, um, organizations. I was able to do some of those things. Um, you know, I also held some board positions on some organizations, um, within the college of business, um, but I felt like, you know, I did have actually, I did have multiple disruptions. I actually lost my grandmother and my aunt. Um, those were really big things and I couldn't, I couldn't be home, right? As an immigrant, um, there were lots of steps, you know, you couldn't just up and leave school. You know, there were lots of things that needed to be done. Um, so I didn't have those things and uh, that was tough for me. And looking back, I wondered why I didn't even um, seek out counseling because I, I didn't, you know, and I, and I wonder for you if, if you see some of those issues coming up in the counseling center, like pregnancy and grief and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I definitely see a, a lot of grief and, and some of it is due to death. And then some of it is also due to different things like loss of, re- of relationships um, actually see a lot of grief right now because we're going through the pandemic and yeah. I don't, people don't often think about this as grief, but I mean, all of us, some, granted, some people have lost loved ones and those, you know, and those types of things, but we, all of us have lost something um, mm-hmm. during this pandemic. So definitely a lot of grief. How do you approach that? Uh, you know, one thing that I always tell my clients is, is when we're thinking about grief, it definitely doesn't happen on a timetable um, as much as we would like it to. So just knowing and reminding them that time is going to be the best remedy for grief because you have to be patient uh, during the process and you have to give yourself grace as well, too. Like there is no one way to grieve. I mean, even thinking exactly. about um, things like cultural norms about tied to the grief process Um, Mm -hmm. you definitely have to keep those into consideration and I always tell them to just you know in addition to time also take the time 
to do self-care. It's just so important that you're continuing to take care of yourself, uh, to do the things that you love, that you're passionate about. And it's hard. It really is. And, and I think also I tell them as well to, to, to lean into your support system. You know, yes. It might look a bit different mm-hmm. because they might be away from home, but whatever supports that you have, really, really lean into those. And also be aware in my, if we're talking about the loss of um, like someone who through death, um, just really keeping in mind when those anniversaries are coming up, whether it's the person's birthday, if it was a, a dating partner or spouse, you know, just like the the anniversaries of the relationship, whatever yeah. um, those events are, just during those days, really taking extra, extra good care of yourself and yeah. planning things. So you're, you know, to whatever capacity you can do for that, for that day, planning something to take care of yourself, having your supports ready. Yeah, that's amazing. And and I, I just wrap all that up into having a ritual, you know, and I've found that in different cultures, you know, for some people, they have that, that you know, that extra support. Um, but for others, um, they really need to create their own, their own process for dealing with grief. And, you know, I like that you, you have all of those resources and, and you can sit with them with that because that, that comes up a lot. So I wonder when working with, um, you know, what are your strategies for working with adolescents from different cultures and, and background um, backgrounds? How how is that for you? Well, it's, it's definitely something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, I'm not sure if you know, well, you might be aware, but uh, UT Dallas there is a definitely um, a very large. Asian population so Mm -hmm. I have gained a lot of experience um, working with students who are Asian and as we know it's a very diverse a very diverse identity uh, many different countries and cultures and I would say that part of it it takes me um, really taking a, a step back and and being open to learning because there's going to be things that I'm that I was not aware of that I hadn't heard about that I'm really learning from my clients, but also not putting the burden on them completely either. Not and and me not doing any work. What I need to do as well is is do things like um, seek consultation from yeah. individuals. Oh, yeah, we maybe, have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, individuals who are more experience working with individuals from that population, um, doing my readings and going to my seminars and those types of things to really, to keep the learning going. And, you know, I'm really passionate about working with black students as well, too. Um, it's part of my, big part of my identity. And as I mentioned, I was a black student at the PWI, so I know how they can be. So I really, um, with, with them, I really do take the time to connect um, just outside of just uh, my role as a psychologist, which I, I love doing therapy with black students, don't get me wrong, but I also um, am passionate about um, really serving as a mentor um, yeah. to students that I might not, you know, might not do therapy with. Those students, like, um, for example, we do a, a support group for uh, women of color and that's really given me the chance to connect with some of our uh, women students of color outside of the counseling center because we actually yeah. do that 
um, in the multicultural center. So I think also just, um, I say meeting the students where they're at as well too, um, because they may not feel comfortable coming to counseling. There's a lot of stigma. If we're talking about yes. the color, there's a lot of mental health stigma. So mm-hmm. meeting, meeting them where they are. Yeah. Well. And sometimes that is, you know, in a group community. And honestly, I really miss doing group therapy. That was actually one of the um, modalities I, I, I liked a lot. I did a lot of that at the jail. Um, I, I miss it. I look, I'm looking forward to maybe creating a few of my own, um, maybe later this year or next year. Yeah, I would take individual, I mean, group over individual any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I was just thinking about it the other day. I, I miss it. I really miss being able to sit with people in a group and just process. Um, but yeah, that sounds, you know, it sounds like the work you're doing is, is really amazing. And um, the multicultural part of it, I think that is that is an added bonus for professional development and, and, and growth. So what age ranges do you see? And maybe if you can tell us what themes are often coming up. I know we've touched on a few of them, but I wonder what else. So generally, not all of our students, but the bulk of the students that we see are between the ages, and I would say 18 to 25, so that young adult age. Um, obviously, there are some that, that aren't, you know, that, that might be 17 or that might be, you know, even 20s, 30s, 40s, what have you, but most of them are going to be 18 to 25. And we do see more undergraduate than, than graduate students. Um, mm-hmm. And... Just thinking about like some of the things that we see. I mean, yes, we have certainly touched on some of them, like with, um, you know, with the grief, um, with identity concerns. Uh, We definitely see a lot, a lot of anxiety. Very prevalent. (laughs) Those are the number two reasons why people come to see us is with um, anxiety and depression. And as you can imagine, that's really ramped up. Uh, to, mm-hmm. to COVID and the social isolation and the anxiety about, you know, what's going to what's gonna happen next? You know, what's going to happen when I graduate? Uh, so a lot, see a lot of anxiety about the future. Um, yeah. A lot of that is present. And on top of that, I would say definitely we see re- things with relationship concerns, whether it's a, a dating relationship um, or a marriage that isn't going too well, uh, a friendship that might be a bit um, a bit unhealthy. Um, we see a lot of like parent-child concerns, like um, st- like students they may have experienced like some type of trauma so, or uh, some type of uh, disconnecting their relationship with their parents. Uh, speaking of trauma, we certainly see a lot of trauma as well too, like with um, things like uh, physical abuse, sexual assault, uh, emotional abuse, and these are things that happen both. Uh, sometimes they have happened uh, right before they came to see us, so during college. Sometimes they're things that happened uh, several years ago. So it, it really it really, really just ends. What about sexual assault? Yes, we definitely see um, a lot of students who have experienced sexual assault. Um, And again, they're in varying stages. You know, if there's some that it it just happened recently and they come to see us um, and we do have a sexual assault 
uh, or a human Title IX coordinator um, in our office. So what she does is, if you know, if a student has experienced that and they were, and they're thinking, you know, what are my options? What can I, you know, do I do I want to pursue legal action? You know, thinking about those types of things and. Um, do you know if it's if they're the person is a student like you know do I do I want to be Title IX involved like the, the perpetrator is a student so um, she meets with them to go through their options you know like I said like some of it's happened a while ago sometimes it, it, it you know it has happened recently but either way we definitely do think we we do provide trauma informed care so we'll um, we are we do provide short term therapy though so um we don't we don't often do any long-term trauma work uh, we would typically if they needed that we would typically ref- refer them to a provider that's able to provide more long-term care um but we do things like as far as like helping them to get grounded because some you know when, when you've experienced that type of trauma um sometimes you can experience things uh like like flashbacks and yes. nightmares and, mm-hmm. and and those types of things. So we definitely want to, um, even if we don't fully process the trauma, we at least want them to have some coping skills that they could walk away with and really set the, the groundwork for more long-term um, trauma, trauma work. Um, and we do provide a group as well to um, one of the providers. Um, she provides a, a group that's for trauma survivors, and it, at this time, it's just for for women uh, for women trauma survivors. Yeah. That's, that's good. I think that is something that is certainly um, needed and in most cases is, is more effective. Not Well, in some cases, right, it's more effective, especially if someone doesn't want to seek out counseling for that. Um, and I think knowing what survivors go through after the assault, some people, everyone responds to it differently. Some persons do not want to um, report some people do not want to do the rib kit. Um, you know, there's so many things that we just have to kind of meet them where they're at and, and understand why they're making that decision. Um, it, it is not even our place as, as counselors to even, you know, and persuade them, right? We just have to honor that they will process through it and giving them those tools to, to do that. I think that's good. Yeah, that autonomy is so important. And yes, we certainly don't push um, anyone to do anything. You know, we want you to be an informed consumer. So we're definitely open and welcome to discuss options. But, you know, whatever you do, um, we support you. And to just know that uh, I think it's so important for us to just just let them know we believe you. You know, in a, in a society full of victim blaming, we believe yes. you, we hear you, we see you. Yeah. What about the shame part of it? Because, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of shame that comes with that, especially um, for victims and survivors um, coming from different cultural backgrounds. Um, do you do you work with them through that shame? Yes, we certainly do. Um, and we, we, we really work um, to, because as I mentioned, we live in a victim blaming society. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of psychoeducation about, you know, what victim blaming is and also just reinforcing that you did nothing to cause this. Like 
regardless of, of you know what the circumstances are no one ever deserves to be um to be assaulted and also really educating about consent as well oh yes so mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people don't really know it so and then you know with the, the shame piece um it's it's really hard you know i, I think also really teaching some of that self-compassion as mm-hmm. well too because some of that shame can be tied to some guilt about well if I hadn't done this this wouldn't have been or if I hadn't done this it wouldn't have been you know so so really just just teaching them to to really um to care for themselves and you know to to decrease some of the blame and also um to know that you are not alone. That's why things like the groups are just so important. Yes. It allows them to see other survivors. And I think that that can help decrease the shame too, if they know that other people have experienced something. Yeah, that's beautiful. How do you think parents can best support um, adolescents during these crucial years? Because I know oftentimes, you know, for most people coming into universities, um, they have built some independence for others, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. So with those who are pretty independent, sometimes parents are not even aware of what's happening on campus or what they're going through. Cause you know, maybe there's a, a don't ask, don't tell, or we just don't talk about, you know, anything outside of academics. So I wonder how, how do you feel like parents can be best um, supportive and, and involved in what's happening during those crucial, crucial years? I, I think that one way is by leaving the doors of communication open. Mm-hmm. And some people have the notion of, well, if I don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. The thing, the fact of the matter is, Here's your uh, your child or your senior your student. They they are hearing messages from their peers, and some of those messages are inaccurate. And rather than relying on them to just hear it somewhere else or, or what have you, providing them with information that's that's factual uh, and it's going to help help them to be able to care for themselves and do the things that they need to do to. Like if they want to engage in a sexual act, to do it in a way that's that's, that's safe and that's responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really think the communication is is the key. And then also, it can help. You were speaking about shame. I think that can help decrease some of the shame too. Like if they do choose to be sexually sexually active, or uh, God forbid, if they do experience a sexual assault, and yes. uh, that can help decrease the shame if they know that their their parents are open to talking to them about things, and that their parents um, support them as well too. And also, I think may uh, similarly like not necessarily pushing abstinence as the only option because we've seen that that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, abstinence is an option. I'm not saying it isn't. It's definitely an option. But yes, present that as an option, and also teach them as well about um, the different things that they can do to to help um, keep themselves uh, safe uh, physically, like with their physical health, and doing things like the um, you know the HPV vaccine or mm-hmm. um, you know contraception and, and those types you know those types of things, making sure that they are aware of, 
of what's out there. That, that's really great. And I wonder when um, they're doing uh, like onboard, not, not onboarding, but orientation and whatnot, are there like any opportunities to support the parents as they go through this stage? Because um, I know for them to, especially for first generation college students, parents may not always know how to best support from a distance um, so I wonder if there's any um, opportunities to sit with parents and, and talk about some of those things. Well, we do actually have our, uh, prior to COVID, <laughs> we had freshman orientation uh, where, stu- where uh, students came with their parents and their parents, uh, there was a parent session and they were able to, uh, you know, to ask questions about different resources and those types of things. And we also actually have a great, uh, program that's geared towards uh, first generation students on campus. I, love that. I, actually, I actually serve as a mentor. I've been a mentor uh, for the past two years, and mm. it, it they are they're phenomenal. They have a phenomenal program. I love that. I I think I need to (laughs) hit you up for some of these resources because I I do want to give some of my work to first generation, um, just the different identities that come from this, especially for immigrants. Um, There's a lot that um, there's a lot that come with that. And um, I'm aware that not everyone is aware of those intersecting identities and the responsibilities that we carry as we move through through life. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 beautiful that you've taken on um, just that that part of it. Uh, in addition to your work with the counseling center, um, I, I think that is much needed. So now that COVID is in <laughs> in full swing, um, do you all do like a, an online presentation where parents can maybe? Um, you know, watch a presentation or something like that? We actually have a YouTube channel. And okay. so uh, technically anyone is, a, is able to watch that. So yeah, parents can definitely uh, watch that because we have, we do it on a variety of different topics. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then as I mentioned, the resource with the, um, the, the, the first generation programs that's, yeah. that's on campus actually was uh, co-starred in a couple of the videos that they made for parents nice. as well too. So yeah, so so we definitely have uh, definitely have resources out. That's beautiful. I'll definitely check that out. And, you know, I might use some of those tools with my own um, clients. <laughs> yeah, feel free to. It's a, uh, if you probably type in UT Dallas Student Counseling Center, uh, search it on, the, on YouTube, it should come up. Okay, I'll definitely do that. Is there anything we didn't touch on that um, might be important just for our listeners, especially um, maybe some parents or adolescents who are in university right now. Any any key things that you'd like to share? Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, mental health is just as important as physical health. So if you're, you know, if your student comes to you and they say, you know, hey, I think I really could benefit from counseling, please support them in that. Um, if you see any changes in them, like maybe they're not sleeping or eating, it's, it's you know, in the same way, or maybe they, you notice that they uh, might feel like they're on edge or they're are isolating themselves or any type of significant changes like that, 
please, please check in. I know it's not your job to be a therapist to them, but at least if you check in, see how they're doing, and also make sure that you know the resources that are available, then you can recommend that they they make use of those. Uh, so, yes, this the, the bottom line is please help to fight the stigma against mental health because it's just our mental health is just so so important um, and we are in as I mentioned a couple times we were certainly in a pandemic we're in a mental health crisis so it's, it's now it's, it's more important now than, than ever that um, we're aware that we're aware of the resources that are available and actually taking advantage of those yeah I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I also think knowing um, some of the risk factors. So sometimes I feel like parents are not always very, um, they're not very observant to significant changes in, in eating habits or, you know, when was the last time you talked with a friend? Um, just, you know, times where the student might be isolated or might be going through um, depression or something like that. I think um, maybe paying attention to those risk factors and asking more quality questions that can help them identify when something is wrong, especially if the, the child or the student is not very forthcoming um, with that information. So I think that is that is also a, a good a good factor too. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Alrighty. So what do you do to, you know, I, I, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, just some of the, you know, maybe conferences or things you're doing to kind of stay in the know and, and to, to keep up with things. Um, but what do you, you constantly do? I imagine as a psychologist, you have to do CEUs as well. Yes, I definitely have to do CEU. So I do, I mean, now granted it's virtual. So, so yeah. the conferences that I attend are virtual. Um, and I, and as I mentioned, you know, consultation is so important. I have weekly yes. consultations with my colleagues. Um, so, so I definitely value the experience there to, if I need any support, like working with the client or if I can support them, you know, those, that's one of the benefits of working in university counseling because you always get to, to have people available to do um, consultations. And then also just taking advantage of different trainings and mm-hmm. events and programming that are available on campus as well, too. Because we do have like professional development um, across the disciplines on campus available too. Yeah, I love that. What have you read or listened to recently um, that has inspired you? Wow. Well, actually, I I really like um, Amanda Seals and Mm -hmm. she did a podcast. um, And this was, this really helped us when we were um, doing uh, with our, our group that I mentioned, um, mm-hmm. doing a session with the Women of Color Support Group. Um, and the, the topic that we focused on were things like, um, you know, like loving yourself as a woman of color and, um, you know, self sense of self-worth and, the, and those types of things. And so when I was listening to her podcast, I mean, granted, some of it can be <laughs> can be a bit a bit racy, um, but there were some nuggets in there that really helped us to have the conversation uh, with with the, uh, the, the, the students and it turned out great. Yeah, 
That's good. I think sometimes you have to pull from a lot of different sources and definitely meet them where they're at, like you said. Um, so finding maybe um, celebrities or people that they can really relate to. So I like that. Thank you. Yeah. So what advice would you give someone who was um, wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Well, I would tell them that uh, something that's always been told to me when I was in graduate school, that it is a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, It takes a lot of work. It is, you know, it takes a lot of time as well, too, to not only get your education, but also get um, experience as well, like in the field. And so on those days where it's, it's tough, it's hard, just remember what brought you to the field. And that's something that I definitely try to do is I think about those those clients um, that just, you know, those those experiences were really connecting with clients and just really seeing them evolve. I mean, it's such a powerful thing. And that's what's really going to help sustain you. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today and then being with us. I think um, a lot of what you shared will be so helpful for persons um, who are adolescents and and persons who are um, having their kids go off to college. I think knowing that they have that support is um, comforting. And um, it's definitely an avenue that I hope people use more of because it's, it's there for that reason, um, because it's it's a complicated stage of life and a lot of things are going to come up um, during that time. Absolutely. Yeah. So to my listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week on Her Sexual Space. For more information on this week's topic, check out our Instagram where I will feature our guests. Our Instagram page is Her Sexual Space Podcast. Or you can also visit our website at hersexualspace.com. So go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and leave reviews if you would love to. Uh, and don't forget to, you know, just come back for more. We're going to um, have some very exciting episodes coming up and um, just can't wait to share with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.